What's up, everybody? Welcome to the BT Podcast. My name is Danny, and I'm your online pastor. Uh, and today's conversation is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we have a very special guest with us. His name is Ben Bennett, uh, and he is a co-author alongside Josh McDowell of a book called Free to Thrive, How Your Hurt, Struggles, and Deepest Longings Can Lead to a Fulfilling Life. Uh, and also as a leader of a, a movement called the Resolution Movement, uh, which I've seen uh, just running through social media uh, be a fantastic resource uh, for overcoming your past struggles and living a fulfilling life. Uh, so Ben, man, we are so excited to have you. How are you doing today, bro? Hey, Danny, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Good to be with you. I am doing well and uh, excited for this conversation. Also excited that we're both in Texas, albeit pretty far away in the great the great country of Texas. That's right. Yeah, State. I know it. Yeah. So you're you're in the Dallas area, correct? That's right. Yeah. And so it's so funny that you mentioned that because I have friends who are like outside of Texas and like from New York or somewhere else. And they're like, bro, like I'm in Texas. Like, let's hang out. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, where are you? Like, oh, I'm in Dallas. I'm like, dude, that's a nine hour drive for me. Like, we are not hanging out. Like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, if See you, you never. Me, yeah, I know. Yeah. If you gave me like a couple of months in advance, maybe that would have been cool. Uh, but yeah, we're not hanging out. And so, uh, yeah. And I love that because, uh, so, so just kind of backing up a little bit, like, man, um, I've, I've gotten the chance to meet you a couple of times now uh, through different uh, hangouts and conferences, meetings, retreats, uh, through Q Ideas. And so I think we met uh, for the first time last September at the Leadership Summit, that retreat that we all went to. Uh, and then more recently got together in Nashville uh, for uh, the Q Conference, uh, just with our cohort together. Um, and man, I, I love the fact uh, that we got to meet because I just feel like that are hanging out together and me getting to know you a little bit, uh, the word that comes to mind is just joyous. Like when I, when I get to hear from you and hear your heart, uh, I just feel like you just exuberate joy. Uh, and I love that about you. Uh, and then just kind of learning your story a little bit through the book that you wrote. Um, it's, it's, it's been a, a wild journey for you, I would imagine. Mm. Uh, but I love the fact of uh, where God has has you right now. Uh, and I'm excited just to be able to get into this conversation. Uh, and so just kind of like, like a little bit of background information for our people. The month of May uh, is Mental Health Awareness Month. I know that you guys and the organization is doing a lot of work, putting out a lot of resources on social media uh, just to educate people. Um, and, and I just kind of I, I, I have to think this, that that this conversation and really this topic uh, is not really uh, talked about a lot, especially within the context of like the local church setting. Uh, it's almost like a taboo thing. Like, oh yeah, we don't talk about those things uh, because you're supposed to be following Jesus and, and doing a lot better with your life type of thing. Uh, and so what, what I love about this is that we're going to get into what I think is going to be some raw material, uh, but also getting into just kind of like ways that people can uh, live a fulfilling life, as your book title explains, uh, of just how to maybe overcome these past struggles, these past hurts and past fears and anxieties and really walking uh, faithfully in their relationship with Jesus. And so what I would love to do, Ben, is kind of start off by you simply sharing your story. Uh, how did you come to know Jesus? Uh, what has your journey been like up to this point? Uh, and really, why are you so passionate about this topic of mental health and helping people live that fulfilling life? Well, for me, I, I grew up surrounded by Christianity and my parents were in ministry. Um, my dad was pretty well known. And um, around the age of four, I had a vivid encounter with God and understood the gospel that God loved me, wanted a relationship with me. I was born separated from him through sin and brokenness, but through Jesus, his life and death and resurrection, 
Mm-hmm. I could have a restored relationship with God. And so that was so vivid to me at a young age. I placed my faith in Jesus, started following him. That relationship was restored, and but other relationships were broken, particularly in relationship with my dad. He traveled a ton for ministry. When he was home, he was so quick to um, bully me, name call, uh, lash out in anger. Mm. Um, so I, I kind of had this... Uh, this relationship where I was half the time I was terrified of my dad. In addition to that, I was bullied by my friends um, for my faith, for the music I listened to in my teenage years. My dad started abusing alcohol all the while he was in ministry. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, stuff was restored with God, but all this turmoil going on at an early age, I was diagnosed with anxiety, depression, Mm -hmm obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, I had traumatic, embarrassing situations at school where I started to have out-of-body experiences in public settings just to dissociate because, it, the you know, being there uh, felt so When you painful. say at an early age you were diagnosed with this, uh, how old were you, if you don't mind sharing? Uh, eight to nine years old. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Went to a psychiatrist and um, eventually, you know, that stuff just continued and I eventually got addicted to pornography, started coping with food and overeating. And all the while, it was like my spiritual life was separated from my mental and emotional well-being, my relationships. Um, and that's what I had you know, experienced in the church. It seemed like everybody just wanted to offer spiritual solutions to everything. And it, it wasn't until mm, wow. going through college, growing more in my faith, uh, eventually got involved in counseling and recovery and therapy with a pastor. He had been a pastor for 30 years, but he was also an addiction therapist. And he opened my eyes. God used him to open my eyes to so many things and to find the answers that I needed to find hope to understand how to heal from these wounds. One, to come to the terms with the fact that I deep that I was deeply wounded. Because yeah. I think for so many of us, we think, oh, well, I live in the fallen world. I wasn't abused. I wasn't traumatized. Right. That was trauma to that person, that atrocious thing I've witnessed. But we all experience hurt, pain um, in this fallen world. And then we do something with that. We respond. We get anxious or depressed or get addicted to something or isolate. And so that was all those things were key in my story. And he kind of helped me realize that um, all these parts were actually integrated in my life. Um, My spiritual life was deeply connected to my relationships, to my emotions, my mental health, to how I viewed myself, to how I view God and Luke 2.52 is is the model of discipleship and growth. It's that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature in favor with both God and man. Wisdom wow. is this mental or kind of emotional well-being stature, this physical wholeness, this physical well-being in favor with God, this spiritual well-being and wholeness, and in favor with man, this relational well-being. So I had to start growing and healing in the spiritual, emotional, relational, and physical um, parts of my life. And that's how God began to really 
set me free and bring freedom and healing and uh, just went on to try and help others, help them heal and wow. uh, discover the principles that God used to set me free. Wow. Oh, I love that. That's man. I, I, I can't begin to understand um, what all you went through at, at such a young, early age uh, being diagnosed with that. Um, and, and yeah, we'll, we'll get into to some more of that uh, here in a little bit, but uh, I want to talk about your book for a second, uh, which if you're watching uh, on, on YouTube right now, you see a little copy of your book in your background. If you're listening on Spotify, Apple podcasts, you don't see it, but, uh, but you wrote a book called free to thrive uh, alongside Josh McDowell. And I recently read it uh, and, and I love it because it's raw, it's powerful, it's practical. So many uh, practical tools, uh, just kind of thoughtful questions, thought provoking questions at the end of every chapter. Uh, and those sort of things. And if you're tuning in, uh, know that we are going to give away a copy. So we're going to purchase a copy, give it away to somebody on social media. Uh, so be looking out for that post. Uh, but the main aspect of your book is kind of walking through what you, you call the wholeness apologetic. Uh, and so can you kind of walk us through what that is? Yes. Well, y'all may be familiar with the term apologetic, which just means to defend or support some aspect of truth. Mm-hmm. And then wholeness is the opposite of brokenness. It's it's the state of, or this completeness that comes from uh, living in who God made us and who he declares us to be. And so what we find, and this took us years to develop, Josh and I, after studying the scriptures and meeting with um, well-known therapists and neuroscientists, is we started to discover um and put the pieces together on what, like just all throughout scripture, how much it talks about human flourishing, why we do the things we don't want to do and how to heal and thrive here and now. And so there's three parts of this wholeness apologetic model. And we explore this in the book and um, the book free to thrive. It's available everywhere. Books are sold mm-hmm. and it comes out in Spanish, August, Oh yeah, 20, August 16th. It's called oh, plenitude. Nice. Plenitude de Vida in uh, Spanish. Wow, um, that's good to know for our context too. So uh, I'll definitely be looking out for that. Yeah, and then, so the first part of the model is how did God design us to thrive, to flourish? If we look at all throughout the Bible, if we look at sociological research, primarily it's good relationships. It's having our needs met. It's meeting other people's needs. It's all the one another's throughout the New Testament. Pray for one another, uh, forgive one another, um, it's, we were deeply made for connection to be known and loved. And we look at the garden of Eden. We had that walked with God. It was not good for man to be alone. Uh, and so the perfect community, we explore these different needs and longings that we all have and, uh, how ultimately that is the primary thing that leads us to thrive. Um, not money, not physical well-being, not, um, any, you know, that kind of prosperity or, or anything, but relational prosperity. Yeah, and um, we see that throughout the New Testament authors and 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 Paul, the secret to being content in all circumstances, knowing God, knowing where He's going, having good community with people. Then we look at why we do the things we don't want to do. Why can we so struggle with sin for decades? Why can we we can tend to just view ourselves as either an angry person or a passive person, or I'm just more of a, I have more of an addictive personality or whatever. And a lot of times in the church, we blame that on original sin. We blame that on our fallen nature, Mm -hmm. but what we don't recognize is that scripturally 
that's only part of it. Um, part of it too, is that we live in a fallen world and growing up, we experience hurt. We experience things that we weren't meant to experience abuse, uh, unmet needs. I mean, as great as your family was, you don't live in the garden of Eden. And so right. there are gaps. Maybe we didn't have the loving words that we needed. Maybe a parent was distant emotionally or physically. Maybe our friends bullied us. Those things impact us uh, in the present, but especially as kids growing up. And we do something with that. We learn our best to survive and to respond. And Proverbs 4.23 says, everything you do flows from your heart. And so what happens when your heart was made for Eden, but you don't live mm. in the Garden of Eden and your heart is wounded or hurt slightly or um, things come at it. Well, that's everything you do is going to flow from that. And so we explore that and help people put the pieces together of uh, why do I do the things I don't want to do? What am I wow. actually reacting to? What am I responding to? Uh, for me in, in my story, um, a clear example of that was anxiety. Anxiety, it was like a radar for me, you know, going beep, 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 beep. You know, you ever see a radar, right. like on a, on a, I don't know, if you're a fisher, you see a fish finder in the radar, right. or, you know, maybe you've been seen a movie with like a, a radar on a um, submarine or whatever, <laughs> something. This radar was constantly searching for situations where I would be rejected, not safe, criticized, um, bullied. And God created our brains with something called the limbic system inside that is the amygdala. It's the fight or flight part of your brain. And so that's designed to keep you safe to, if you're, you're crossing the street and a teenager who just got their license comes flying around the corner and you got to jump out of the way. Right. Or uh, if you're walking through the woods and you come across a snake um, and I'm you, running. or yeah, you think it's a snake, <laughs> but it's actually a stick. You take oh. off running. That's to protect yeah. you. That gets right. hijacked and um, as Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety weighs down the heart. Yeah. It gets hijacked in our brain and starts to weigh us down. And we get anxious about the things we don't need to be anxious about. Uh, and that starts to lead to fixed neurological pathways in our brain, fixed ways of thinking and responding to life. That's what happened to me growing mm -hmm. up with that radar. And then I had to... Um, so, so I discovered that's why I do, that's why I get anxious all the time about all these situations. And then the third part is how we start to heal and return to the thriving life we were designed to live. And that comes from questioning our struggles, not condemning our struggles. Wow. You know, Romans 2 says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So if, if God has dealt with our sin, he's not ashamed of our brokenness. He, he despised the shame on the cross. He died for our sin, rose again. And he's kind and not obsessed with our sin. We need to be kind to ourselves, kind and curious. Why do I do that thing? Okay, I'm forgiven. I don't have to beat myself up. God's not yeah. beating me up. What is this about? You know, so much, so much, so many of our sin struggles are not about self-control, but about self-awareness. Yes. And we don't know why we're doing the things we don't want to do, what we're truly longing for. So when we start questioning them and say, oh, I'm anxious because I'm longing for safety. And actually right. God created me to experience safety in the Garden of Eden. And I can start to experience that here and now through sitting with him and thinking about how he provides and protects for me, yeah. protects me. Or if we think about pornography, 
so much of, of that is is pornography is less about sexual desire and more about mm -hmm. these unmet needs and desires to be loved and accepted rather than rejected. Right. And so if you start to think about today, yesterday, last week, what are these hurtful things or, or, or what, what have you experienced that you are not supposed to experience in the garden of Eden? And mm -hmm. how are you responding to that? You're going to find the anger, the, the, the sin, the, the anxiety coming out. And then you can start to catch yourself when you start going down that, so that pathway. I love that because uh, I feel like we, we are a culture that doesn't do a lot of self-awareness, like just like, like just study yourself for a moment. Um, and I think probably the big reason for that is because we don't really take time to stop. Like we're just always on the go. We're always consuming information through social media, even through Netflix and TV shows and movies. Like our minds are just always working on what we're consuming. And so we don't really take time to like just process and, and stop and be aware of like, why, how did I get to this point? What, what decisions did I make that kind of got me to this area? Um, and so I, I love that self-awareness fact, uh, and kind of going back to the whole fight or flight, um, just a funny story for me on my end. I'm, I'm a big fight or flight. Like if I see a stick and I think it's a snake, like, like I said, I'm running, uh, mm -hmm. one time, um, our, my father-in-law, he's a big, you know, outdoorsman, fisherman, hunter, you know, goes to the mountains to hike. And I, that's like, I'd rather sit at a coffee shop and just, you know, read a book or something. Uh, and so he, he took us to Colorado, uh, and we're hiking this, this mountain trail. And he's like, Hey, I got you guys, these big sticks. And if you see a bear, just put it out in front of you. And I was just like, what? <laughs> like a bear. Uh, he's like, yeah, like look, look out for the bear paws. And then sure enough, you look out in the trail and there's just fresh bear paws. I'm like, dude, like I'm getting out of here, man. Like <laughs> I ain't trying to do this. Uh, and we have, but it's so interesting that you, that you bring that up because that comes from a mentality that we, that we have uh, that, that, you know, can be used for protection or even for, you know, for running away from, I, I think maybe what God is wanting us to do. Um, and so I, I want to kind of talk about this for a second, because you talked about just the whole like self-awareness, uh, but even looking back to the Garden of Eden and, and I think what happens is maybe we don't do a lot of work with like the root of the issue. Uh, and like you said, with pornography, like it's, it's much more than, uh, you know, just what we want to look at is these unmet longings, these unmet desires, which kind of tells me like it's, it's a root thing that maybe we haven't done that root level work. Um, and so I love to kind of talk about with maybe dealing with the tension of our past versus like pretending that that didn't exist, if that makes sense. So in other words, mm -hmm. like, like we had this past uh, episode, we didn't really realize that was a big deal because we didn't really take time to process it. Maybe we were too young. We didn't really understand it. Uh, and I kind of think that, uh, especially for like, like the kind of like the male culture of our day, we have this macho mentality to pretend that whatever happened in the past maybe didn't actually happen or it's not as big of a deal as we thought. But we don't really realize how much like pain that actually caused us and, mm -hmm. and where, where it's leading us to walk in. Um, so what would you kind of say or speak into uh, really considering with dealing with our past versus pretending like that didn't really exist or wasn't that big of a deal? A question my um, old pastor therapist used to say is, how's that working for you? Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. I think that's, that's all you, you, you gotta ask like, okay, I'm trying to ignore my past, that stuff that happened growing up, or maybe I don't even want to go there. Well, would you say that you're with ignoring that? Are you actually flourishing? Would you say right. your relation, you say 
you don't struggle in your relationship with God. You don't struggle in your relationships. Mm. You don't struggle with secret sin or private sin. Mm-hmm. Um, you can be free from all those things. You can live a life of no secrets where you're fully known and fully loved. You can see God as he is, as your um, loving father who is always with you. I'm living proof of that. You can have relationships where you are loved and accepted and you hold nothing back, even including the deepest, darkest secrets or thoughts you've ever had. Um, That was a big part of my past 10 years. I've been free from pornography for almost nine years now. And such a key to that was um, developing these, these kind of relationships and and healing. But what I would say is God designed you as a spiritual, emotional, relational, physical being, like we, we talked about. And as such, he's given you a soul, a, a, a heart. He, he gave you, he made you in his image and he made you to be whole. You know, when in the new Testament, when it says be perfect as I am perfect, uh, the word actually means to be complete, to be yeah. um, whole. And so think about it like this, God made you to be whole. We're not just saying in the next life, in eternity. No, no, right. no. Um, salvation in the Greek means to be saved, but also to be made whole and healed. Mm-hmm. And so think about spiritually, emotionally, relationally, physically. God made you to be whole, to be complete. And as you, you're you born, you know, you, you go throughout life and things are just chipping away at you. People sin against you. People leave. People say things. And that affects, and then you do things, you sin against other people, you have regret or you have shame over things you you do. Think about just a whole heart and slowly things being chipped away at at that. And then it's just perhaps depending on, on all the things you've been through, like my life, you get to a point where you just feel so empty and you can't even recognize that whole heart that God created you to have. And yes, you come to faith in Jesus. And yes, he says, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And positionally he's done that, but then we need to walk out. Well, what did I miss? Where do I need to be healed? Where do I need to address those lies? Because these things get so um, ingrained in us. For example, if, I know so many people who never felt loved and believed in by their father. Mm-hmm. If if you don't address that and start finding God, the father and spiritual mentors in your life, um, healing that by stepping into it, by speaking life, by um, giving you to some extent what your father didn't give you, then you're going to find subconsciously, you're going to live your whole life trying to get that see so many people climbing the ladder or becoming influencers or um, just, you know, trying to make it to the top. And they don't realize that what they're doing is trying to find the approval of a father that they never had when we can actually have that (laughs) through God, the father, through spiritual mentors. And that's kind of how it will play out if we don't deal with it. That's so good. I love it. Uh, you know, one of the biggest aspects of mental health, depression, anxiety is the thought that if you struggle with this, uh, you can't tell anybody about it because of the fear 
um, of what other people might think of you. Uh, and I think even like in a context of like ministry leaders who are supposed to, you know, hold this position and they're viewed in the church as, um, you know, as a, as a higher position or whatever the case may be. Um, but for anybody who may be struggling with this, there's that level of fear of shame. You don't know what people are going to think uh, if you kind of sum up the courage to tell somebody about these things that you're having these thoughts. Uh, why do you think people feel like they have to face this issue alone? That is a great question. And I, I, I think there's so many things that go into it, but I think um, that and some, you know, sin struggles for some reason that the church has, because the church or not the church Christians, we've traditionally viewed these things as solely a spiritual issue. Like, okay, maybe it's a demon. I just got to pray and, and cast yeah. that thing out. You know, I, I believe in that. Like you yeah. should fight this, these battles on all fronts, spiritual, emotional, relational, right. physical. And so we should um, cast things out in Jesus name and pray over people and, and, and whatnot. And things could be caused by that kind of affliction, but more often than not, or maybe not more often than not, but I think, almost always there's also the stuff that happened growing up or the trauma I went through or just living in a fallen world and how stuff has shaped me. Um, I think it's taboo because we view, view it as weakness mm. or people view it as, as weakness and people tend to think, Oh, I don't love Jesus enough. If I can't overcome this, this struggle, I I'm not trusting God enough. Um, if I'm anxious or depressed, you know, we've just kind of created that narrative when that's actually not what scripture teaches. That's good. All throughout scripture, you see people like Job, right. he lost his health, his wealth, his family, severely traumatized. Job three, he says, why did I not perish when my mother gave birth to me? That's mm. a depressed man. Right. You know what Job also says? That Job was blameless before mm. God. What? Wow. Yeah, that's proof right there that you can be depressed and suicidal and wish you were never born, born and righteous and that's in right. good standing with God and it have nothing to do with a lack of faith. Or I think about um, who was Elijah, the prophet that was suicidal, or I think about David, who in first um, Samuel 21 to 24, when he's on the run from King mm -hmm. Saul, who is trying to take his life. He was anxious. Like you read that story. This guy is like spazzing out. He's anxious. He's running. He's hiding he, in caves. Even after uh, the victory he had over Goliath, right? Like he had a past success, a past victory. Yes. But yet you see in his moments that he's still struggling with these emotions and he's running away at the same time. And so, yeah, it's 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 a crazy back and forth battle, I feel like. Uh, and just kind of going back, if we don't deal with that root issue, um, then it's going to be hard to walk in in victory. It's going to be hard to thrive. Um, and, and it's difficult because there is that shame element to it, that uh, the guilt element that, and, and kind of not to bring it back to like the social media aspect, but I feel like social media has taught us to, to have this certain persona that we have to look a certain way. And so it, it causes the fear that when we don't look that way, then it's going to bring a lot of guilt and, and shame um, and how people might respond. And so what I want to do really quick is almost like shift the direction or, or, or shift the perspective. Um, let's say somebody um, is, is kind of sums up the courage. They're willing to, to share with a trusted friend like, hey, 
I actually have been having these thoughts. I'm dealing with this. Uh, I've been battling depression for 10 years and I haven't told any about it, anybody about it. Um, how do you think that like somebody from the receiving end should then respond to that person? Like almost like what should be like your first initial thought or first initial, like, what do you say? Uh, but cause I think how we respond in those moments is going to be very important to that person than walking in victory. And so how do you, what's some of your advice on, on how someone should respond in that? Yes. And, and I would say too, that depending, not to put the responsibility all on that person who responds to them, but you, yeah the way you respond has the ability to make or break what the next few years or maybe decades looks like for them. I've heard of people sharing something and then just somebody tried to fix them, tried to throw a Bible verse on it. Like they felt shamed for it or they felt like they weren't spiritual enough. Well, what do you do? Then you shut down. I mean, this is like going back to Job, like Job's friends trying to figure out why God was letting like, all this bad advice when he just needed people to sit there with him. And sometimes the questions aren't going to be fully answered. So there's two things I would say, because I've been doing this 11 years now. And for Mm. six years, I led these healing restorative groups and just people shared all kinds of things. And we walked through what I've seen to be the most powerful is one. The first thing is to commend them. Don't condemn Mm. them. Wow. To commend them, don't condemn them. And so that means saying, thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, it's a, for somebody to come to you with this thing that the enemy's been attacking them over, perhaps that they've perhaps been so ashamed of that they've beat themselves up with maybe for years. And then to trust you with that, that's like one of the biggest honors that you can experience from another human being in life. That's good. And so thank them for sharing that they would trust you um, with, with that and encourage them. Um, and then number two, the Bible says in Romans 12, 15, to mourn with those who mourn and celebrate with those who celebrate. And it's our tendency. I see this all the time with Christians is somebody shares something. And then we think that our Christian duty is to pray for them right then or to share a Bible verse or to ask mm-hmm. them questions and to try and fix it. Yeah. And that's not what it says to do necessarily. It says to mourn with those who mourn, celebrate with those who celebrate. So what does that mean? You share something really tough, like, oh man, I've been, you're the first person I've shared this with. I've been dealing with depression. I think it is for so long. I've had thoughts about ending my life and it's just been so tough you encourage that person and you mourn with them and you say, Oh man, I imagine that has been tough. Uh, I'm Mm -hmm. so sorry to hear that you've been going through that. How can I encourage you? How can I come alongside you? Um, Are there ways I can pray for you? You know, you want to ask because it's their journey. Like when somebody is struggling, somebody made in the image of God with responsibility, especially as an adult, they have to own their healing journey. Mm -hmm. And what you want to do is come alongside them and ask, how can I support you? How can I encourage you? Um, Can I help you find a psychologist? And and probably not in the first conversation. You probably don't want to offer all these ways of asking questions of how you can help. I would say just in that initial conversation, affirm what they're experiencing, mourn with them, 
thank them for sharing and let them know that you're you're there from them. And then perhaps just one question in that initial conversation, mm. what can I do to help? Yeah. How can I come alongside you in this journey? That's so good. Um, and yeah, like just that reality, because you even think about Job's friends at first, they sat with him at first, right? Uh, but then they started spitting out information that just was not helpful. <laughs> and so uh, that's our that's our hope is, is I want our people to be able to uh, respond well. Like if somebody is willing to to say this or to admit this, the struggle, um, I want them to be able to, or for us, be able to respond well to that person. How can we help them take uh, a faithful next step? But how can we also just help be there for them? I love that you said, um, you know, commend them, don't condemn them. Uh, I think that's just a great way of, of kind of summarizing that. Um, you know, one thing I did, uh, it, one thing I love doing when I read books uh, is I, um, I try to find the quote that stands out to me the most in every book. And like this quote either summarizes the book or maybe it's for whatever reason it's just stood out to me the most. And so I want to read the one that, that stood out to me the most from uh, from Free to Thrive. And it's uh, on page 93 talking about the battle of the brain. And the quote was this, the battles we must fight against unhealthy beliefs and unwanted behaviors are spiritual battles that take place primarily in our minds. Why is so much attention given throughout scripture to what we are to do with our minds? Because our behavior follows our beliefs. The way we think influences what we do. Uh, that stood out to me right away because you think about throughout the New Testament, you know, so much of Paul's letters, the New Testament letters are half one is theological. The second half is practical. Right. Um, and, you know, sometimes, you know, the theological part is longer. Practical part is a little shorter. But so much of the practical part is 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 a mind, you know, challenge like think about these things the process of renewing your mind right philippians 3 colossians 3 romans 12 like all those chapters maybe come to mind um and so when i think about this reality of of mental health like it's it's a mind battle like you said here in the book the battle of the brain is kind of what this is and so we know that as you read the the new testament letters it's theological you know you know this right this is what you know and now that you know this live this way right turn it into practice type of thing uh, but why do you think so much of the challenges of walking faithfully in our relationship with Jesus is such a mind battle? Um, I think it all uh, kind of goes back to, well, just kind of how God created us, that what happens throughout life is we go through an experience, we witness something. Our, yeah. I mean, our mind, our brain is the most powerful machine, if you can call it mm. that. Uh, to ever exist still. Uh, and it's constantly on. And so yeah. we interpret things, we filter data, we start to form thoughts, we start to form beliefs. And our thoughts are actually physical things. If you, if you ever look at a brain scan, real zoomed in, our thoughts are like these maps of like trees, they're physical things. And um, over time, those thoughts become solidified beliefs. And, uh, you know, I, if I think about Genesis three, how does the enemy come in mm. and, uh, and try to dis distort what God had created, um, when he tempts Adam and Eve and he said, it's about, it's, it's thoughts. Did God really say, did right, this, yeah. is that really true? It's always about truth over lies. That's the big, um, battle that we're up against because, Truth is truth because God's uh, nature is true and everything that flows from him and how he's designed life and how we're supposed to live is true. Lies are an attack on mm. God and his character because his character is true. 
And so the enemy's game is always going to be the biggest spiritual battle is always going to be untruths or half truths, yeah. which are all lies. Right. And he uses these experiences, the hurt, the unmet needs to attack um, our pus- our personhood, our who I am, how I view myself, our view of God. Is God really good when there's so much evil and suffering? When he allowed mm-hmm. that to happen to me, does God really exist? And then our need for other people or our interaction with other people. Um, can people actually be trusted? Will they actually show up? And so the spiritual battle we're up against is who we are or how we view ourselves, God yeah. and other people. And then our behavior flows from that. And all this stuff is attacked as we're growing up, but even, even here now and over 580 times, the Bible mentions mind, think, believe all right. throughout um, the, the scriptures. And there's this huge emphasis on our minds. And I think it comes down to as people made in God's image, unlike the rest of creation, we actually have the ability to ration, to reason. Um, we have infinite value and dignity. We have the ability to create we, we have consciousness and volition, unlike any other created thing. And that all starts in our thoughts. Mm. Man, that's so good. And I think one of the most important things, and, and just as I converse with people, uh, specifically with young adults, um, comes down to how you view yourself, right? Uh, especially, you know, knowing that that you have faith in Jesus, right? So that that view of self uh, stemming out of a belief in Jesus. Um, and I know that's a big part that you guys focus on the book as well is, is see you as God sees you uh, mm-hmm. type of thing. Um, and I think that's a big struggle for some people who, who, who struggle with, with, you know, sin or struggles, whatever they struggle with, is that reality that that God views them, you know, as he views Jesus, right? Um, and so a question I want you to to maybe hash out for a second is, is how did you process that um, in your own personal life of just viewing yourself as God views you now that you know Jesus type of thing? Um, and how do you think people can just let that truth like sink in deep? If we're talking about doing work, work with the root, uh, that's a, a truth that's got to go in deep so we can then, like you said, go out and start living out um, and processing everything. There's like 10 steps I would probably give for that. And we, we get... <laughs> We get at them all in the book. Um, But for me, uh, one of the biggest things was one, the first thing I think, even figuring out what the lies are. So many of us are believing lies. People are preaching lies Mm -hmm. and we're telling ourselves lies, but we think they're biblical. For example, Mm -hmm. the average church preaches a message every Sunday that majors on Genesis 3, the fall, the fallen man rather than the new creation in Christ. 100%. We refer to ourselves as sinners rather than saints. Wow. Um, but, you know, a, a butterfly is no longer a caterpillar. That's right. The old things have passed away. Nowhere in the New Testament does it mention, or, or are Christians referred to as sinners. They're referred to as saints. Paul goes to such a length to say, I've been crucified with Christ. Right. Um, my old self is gone. Even when he does say, of sinners I am chief, I would argue that he's talking about his former life. Mm -hmm. And so does there's so many people I had to stop listening to listening to in sermons and and teachings, but Mm, wow. If Ephesians four says that the, um, that the, 
pastors and preachers and teachers were given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, are our sermons and teachings helping Oof. people live into the new creation that they are in Christ and live into their sainthood, not their sinnerhood? Or does it keep, do we keep coming back to Genesis 3? You know, the average sermon outline, I got to spend some time with a, a well-known psychologist named Henry Cloud several years ago, and he told me, Ben, the average sermon outline you'll hear is God is good, you're bad, try harder. Mm. If your sermons keep coming back to just that God is great and holy and just, which he is, that you are sinful and fallen, and so just repent and believe throughout the week, that's not doing the scriptures justice. That's not doing the gospel justice because that's, I mean, that's how we, we start a relationship with God by repenting and believing. And yes, we keep repenting and, and turning from, from our sin, but we have to live into who God has called us to be Wow! and see ourselves the way God sees us. That's so good. You know, so that, that, that would be another one. And then getting around people that affirm that, cutting that trash talking voice in your head, stopping listening to the things that um, go that, that further your shame and, and tell you who you used to be rather than who you are now uh, new experiences with, with mentors and people who just believe in you, who treat you the way Jesus would treat you. And then a lot of what we talk about in the book is, is meditation where you identify three lies you believe you identify a verse of scripture that combats each one. And then here's the big thing. You identify a time you experience that with God. So say, I believe I'm worthless. That's what I believed for years. And worse, I thought the Bible taught that. Hey, Genesis 3, total depravity. Right. You know, I'm scum beneath God's feet. No, no, no. I'm made in the image of God. Whether or not I know God or I'm a Christian, I have infinite dignity and value. And that's mm-hmm. why sin is sin is wrong because we're hurting God and we're hurting people. Yeah. So if if non-Christians didn't have any value, then it would be not <laughs> yeah. wrong at all right. to hurt somebody, to kill somebody, to whatever, to lie to somebody. That's not true. So identify what you the lie you believe. Okay, that I'm worthless and God just tolerates me. Identify a verse of scripture. For me, that's first John 3 1. See what kind of love the Father's given to me that I should be called a child of God, and so I am. And then number three. Because in this fallen world, we have so many experiences, negative experiences that shape our negative view of ourselves, being left out, a parent leaving, a parent's divorce, maybe we blame ourselves. We believe experientially and intellectually that we're worthless. Mm -hmm. So what do we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds? To believe intellectually, but also experientially that we are worthwhile, that we matter, that we're loved. So for me, I go back to this experience I had with God where I just encountered him. And after I'd been running from God for a long time, I came back to this um, worship event and and sat with in the back and was just weeping. And I felt like God was saying, I love you so much. And Mm. he he encountered me. And, and so every day for years, I would go to those, that verse and that experience and just meditate and visualize it because that experience helped me to believe, Oh yeah, it is true. Oh yeah. God does love me. That's good. Oh yeah. I am a child of God. Yeah, man. And, and going back just really quickly with the whole, like, this is a battle of the mind. I think about uh, Paul Philippians chapter three, forgetting what lies behind straightening forward to what lies ahead. 
uh, I remember like, you know, I was in student ministry and stuff. And a lot of times when I would preach that passage, it's like, 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 you know, like look ahead, like there's, there's a lot ahead of you, you know, God has big plans for you type of thing. But then as I kind of processed that verse, uh, this was kind of recently, like the forgetting what lies behind, I can't imagine the, like how difficult that was for Paul, you know, just thinking about his life and what he did previously before the encounter with Jesus, right. That literally persecuting, killing, putting Christians in prison. Um, and he had to like do a lot of mind work. And, and I try to imagine mm -hmm. Paul writing that verse, right. Of, of the work he had to do uh, to kind of get to the point to where he was of living out his relationship with Christ, that renewing of the mind process. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. It's, it's, you know, we talk about transformation, but you have to deform your mind of so much, you know, trauma and episodes and things that, that, that kind of built up to this point as you are doing the transformation process. And so last thing, bro, just for, uh, you know, a couple of warm minutes or so, uh, give us some practical tips, man. Uh, what are some rhythms that you have implemented in your life? Some practical things that kind of has helped you in the renewing your mind process. You know, I want to celebrate with you really quick. You said you've been free from pornography for nine years, and there was a lot of work that I would imagine kind of got you to that point. And now to here where you're just living a total different lifestyle, pursuing something different. Um, so what are some of the routines and rhythms that you implemented in life to kind of get to this point? One is I had to commit to this lifestyle of no secrets. Oh, and wow. what I mean by that is, with everything emotionally, with, with sin, with thoughts. And, um, I'm still living that out. And this all started 10 years ago, mm -hmm. uh, nine years ago, but I committed with a couple other people to have no secrets every day throughout the week. So not just once a week after I messed up and then, you know, five days later, Oh, how's your week? Oh, well, I did this, 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 no, no, no. That's, that's not, this daily lifestyle of fellowship and walking in the light that's mm. walking in darkness most of the time. And then <laughs> I come out, I come out from under the rock for an hour a week and confess stuff and then go back in darkness. Wow. That's not how God, but that's our average accountability model or whatever. Mm. And, and really it's, it has to be about a pro I like to call it proactive daily support. This lifestyle of no secret every day I'm, I'm processing with a safe person how I'm doing emotionally, what's stressing me out, what lies I'm tempted to believe, because those are the things that are going to set you up to have a crisis of depression, to go back to the sin struggle, to explode at your kids in anger. It's going to build up. And so you, you, some things or most things have to start by being heard if they're going to be healed. Oof. And God just does something. We're made for one another. When we share, hey, I'm feeling anxious about this situation today. And you feel you mourn with those who mourn. You, you, somebody steps in, understands you. You experience comfort and and almost like Jesus with flesh on through somebody out, somebody else who can encourage you. That's one of the biggest things um, that's that's been transforming for me. That's good. Second one is is um, we're told in Second Corinthians three. So three, 10, no, 10, three to five to take every thought captive. It's been estimated that you have about 8,000 thoughts a day. <laughs> that's, yeah. it's, it doesn't, it thoughts. says every thought, 8,000 <laughs> a day. That's, that's a lot of work and that takes effort. And so we need the Holy Spirit to transform us by the renewing of our minds as we start to 
become self-aware with what are we actually thinking? Because it's so hard to heal um, and get rid of toxic thoughts and heal from the trauma of the past or the pain from the past and the lies if we are continuing to feed ourselves those lies. Mm. Um, it has to start with, okay, I'm believing that, but this is what's true. And it gets easier and easier. And through neuroplasticity, which means essentially that your brain can rewire and change, it starts to get easier. And so that's been a, a huge one for me. I no longer tell myself those lies. And it took a lot of work to catch that and switch that. But um, that's what it means to, uh, what is it, Philippians 4.18, think about things that are true, noble, right, right and pure. If I'm telling myself lies, if I'm beating myself up, if I'm agreeing with statements of the enemy wants me to believe from what happened to me or what I did, then I'm not thinking about things that are true, noble, right, and pure. And when we believe the truth, we we get God's eyes on a situation. We believe the truth. We think about, no, I'm the righteousness of Christ. No, I've been redeemed. No, I'm loved. I'm I'm a saint. I'm made in God's image. I'm like anything else in creation. I have volition and and reason. I matter. Jesus died for me. Uh, He rose again. He loves me. He adopted me. When that starts to become like your, think about glasses, the lenses that you see the world through, Mm -hmm. you're fired up to live into who God created you to be, to help other people know this God who is so good and adopts people into his family and redeems them and heals them. And, um, so those are a couple ones that have been crucial for me. And then of course, ongoing therapy has been so, so helpful to work through things, recovery groups, Mm -hmm. and, um, and then just a lot of, a lot of Jesus unlearning who I thought (laughs) Jesus and God, the father and the Holy spirit are and, and relearning biblically, um, who God is and experiencing him every single day. It's just so, so good. good. Oh, Ben, uh, man, this has been such an enjoyable conversation. Uh, and I'm praying for anybody that tune tunes into this, that they are blessed, encouraged, uh, motivated, uh, to, to be willing to be real, uh, with where they are with God, with where they are with their struggles and walking through. And I'm praying that, uh, that people, uh, after hearing this, find some practical ways to come out of those struggles, uh, but also just the willingness to share. Uh, and that also that for people in our church, uh, the the readiness to even respond uh, to, to anybody who'd be willing to share as well. And so um, as we uh, just process um, everything, I'm excited about how God is using you uh, in all these amazing resources and and really just continuing to use you for, uh, for your growth, but also for the growth of other people. And so for anybody tuning in, go follow uh, what is it, at resolution movement, right? All one mm-hmm. word, one phrase, uh, amazing resources there on Instagram and social media. Uh, I believe you have a website as well too, res- resolutionmovement.com. Is that what it is? Dot org, resolutionmovement.org. Perfect. Yeah. And so go check out those resources because I promise you they'll uh, benefit you and your growth with Christ and uh, how you can also uh, be counseling towards other people as well. Uh, And so, Ben, appreciate the time, man. Appreciate the conversation. Uh, Praying for you and your ministry as you continue to go out and serve uh, and love the way that you do. And I can't wait for the day that we get to hang out again one day, uh, prayerfully soon, uh, but excited for you, bro. Thank you so much for being on the BT Podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Dan. It's awesome what you're doing. Privileged to be part of this and, and loved getting to discuss all these things. Amen. See you, bro.